Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. What is today? It is it is May 7th, 2020, and you're listening to Human Factors Cast. Uh, I'm joined by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf across the internet airwaves across from me. He's on one of my screens. Blake, how are you? One of your mini screens. Man, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. It's a, it's a weird day because I, I got through about half the day. And then uh, my partner reminds me that, but you're podcasting tonight. And I was like, oh, right, I am. <laughs> that's when I texted you. I was like, what time do you want to do this? Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Yeah. It's we just a it weird out. day, man. It yeah. is. It is. It's just a weird day. I forgot completely about the podcast. I had a lot of other things going on. Um, but I do have something fun to show you, Blake. Look, look at this. Look at this. Oh, wait. Never mind. It's it's going to be all messy. Oh, wait. Maybe I can get it to work. Uh, maybe. No. It's not going to work. Not gonna it's going to be too messy. It's okay. It's more our. It's more me getting Arduino lights going. Look oh my goodness! There Have you is. figured out the the code for it? Uh, kind of nice. Um, but I do have something fun to show you that is not quite code. Um, and I guess this is kind of banter, but it's coming together. Wow, it is that is coming so together. much crazier than last time I saw it. Yeah. So uh, part of the fun, I guess we're just jumping right into banter. Um, we got some news stories today. Whatever. Programming notes. Human factors. Minute. Go check it out. But yeah, I'm I'm uh I'm getting along with this thing, and um, I'm at the part now where I still have a little bit to go with kind of the finishing touches on the actual physical thing. I ran out of spray paint, and now since we got to wait for stuff to come in extra long sure. because of everything you know I'm, I'm waiting till the end of the month to actually finish this thing um so i'm waiting on spray paint i'm waiting on a couple other things but you know in the meantime i'm kind of playing around with these uh they call them greeblies uh and it's basically like the little like uh, uh model kit bashing type things i got a whole bunch of little containers here of just random parts that i've collected from taking stuff apart like we're talking pin caps we're talking like just random stuff from taking things together that you can slap together on uh, something to make it look more, in this case, Star Wars-y. Um, and I'm at the point now where I'm kind of, I'm trying to greebly it out, and I'm trying to figure out what's too much and what's too little. And, uh, you know, this is part of a wider project. I eventually want to do like a whole Star Wars wall. I'm trying to figure out where this part goes. And so with that, I'm like, do I want to do less? Because I can always go back and do more, right? I can always go in and like add a little bit to it. And so for now, you know, it's it's very much like, let's hold back. Let's just do kind of the thing that looks good. And then, yeah. then we'll move on. That's pretty crazy, though. So is the Greebly thing, is that a Star Wars like native term? Or is that something that's just like known across like if you're making projects like this, like this is something you can do to make it more realistic to the world that you're trying to put it in? That's an interesting question. So uh, the, t- the origin of the word has been debated. Um, oh, of course George, it has. <laughs> of course it has. George Lucas used it famously and said, you know, put some, put some greebles on the, um, on the thing. And uh, I can't do a very good George, uh, but <laughs> that's the best George ever. But, you know, he said, you know, put some greeblies on it or whatever. And there was another, like, the, the one of the model makers, you know, also said it. So who who knows who, chicken and egg, who came first. But the, it's it's also called a couple different things. It's called greeblies, greebles, greeble. Like, it's just a bunch of different 
terms for the same thing, but I mean, they're, it's really just like random parts. Like, look, here's a knob. I have a knob here. Um, I have a, um, this is part of a cat filter that looks like a grill, right? I'm going to use that as part of it. Just using all the stops from the house. That's pretty yeah, crazy. Really, really interesting. So this is a Simply Juice uh, cap, right, with the top half of uh, a light bulb plug inside. And then once this is spray painted and glued together and you put this in it, it will look like a Star Wars apparatus. That's, That's pretty wild, motor on top. And it's just yeah, like so a bunch I'm... of everyday stuff that you're just jamming together. That's pretty sick. Yeah, this one's this one's another favorite here too. Uh, this is like just parts from a uh, well, one part is from a tablet, one part is from a um, I don't remember what this is from, but this is from a humidifier that broke on us. So just taking stuff apart and like kit bashing it together, that kind of looks Star Warsy, right? Yeah, it does actually. It looks like something you'd find in a scrap shop. Yeah, so I mean. It's been kind of fun just doing art. Uh, I'm at that art point or prop making point where I'm just trying to fill the time in between waiting for uh, other stuff. But in terms of um, in terms of electronics, I've not really progressed because I was like, I just wanted to hold off until I had all the pieces together. Um, and I think I might add a couple more LEDs, which is why I had that blue one up here just a minute ago. I think I might add that blue LED as kind of another status indicator. So... Uh, I still am not sure what I'm going to do with the electronics yet, so I'm, I've been kind of waiting on that. Got it, yeah. So are you, you, you're you using the Arduino just to mess with some of the LEDs, or are you hooking up to the buttons that you've added to like the, the control panel itself? Yeah, the buttons will eventually turn on and off LEDs. So... Hang on, let's see. Let's see here. So, um, so I have everything kind of scattered on here. But the idea is that when you when you turn it on, uh, these buttons will be either lit or not lit or um, or flashing, right? And if you flash it, the other one starts. Uh, when it's flashing and you press it, it will light up, and then the other one starts flashing, indicating that you can push that one and it will light up. And these will also correspond with some um, actions like play a sound like a fictional door closing or a fictional ramp coming up or down you know um oh by the way i can't really show you all that much but look at that look at that wiring job it's looking pretty nuts under there yeah oh man yeah anyway so that's that's kind of my life i've just been working on that and you're a uh, freaking electrician all of a sudden oh, this is nuts. this is this is uh this is one of my favorite ones here this is from a um can can you guess what that is from i'm sorry audience you can't really see I have this right no now, idea but... so this looks like a plastic ring and then it's got like an inner ring that looks i don't know it looks like a bit off of a fan or something i have no idea what it is that's interesting um why don't you go ahead and uh just just talk for a second and i'll grab what that's actually from and oh then... my goodness so this is something nick's taking his headphones off for anybody wondering and so this is going to be a one-person conversation for a moment but i was really shocked today when i was poking around on the internet in between, you know, recording Human Factors Minutes and doing other stuff. And I noticed that Amazon actually has a game development company, like they're like oh, yeah. Amazon Games. And I had no idea that was even a thing. And it looks like they're going to put out like a third-person shooter in a couple of days uh, to compete with some of like what Riot's recently done and, you know, something to the similar vein of Overwatch. But I couldn't believe they had a video game whole like studio that's cranking out stuff. Like ju just Amazon will not be stopped per usual. And it was one of those things where I was like, geez, Nick and I have to try this thing out together and see what it's like. Because um, I think it's just PC-based. It's there. It, unfortunately, it's not going to be like any kind of controller or console stuff, which means I'm going to suck at it. 
but I'm, That's okay. obviously I mean, you, you'd already heard of Amazon Studios, I guess. Yeah, and they um, so Microsoft actually gave a press conference uh, way back in I guess this was at Gamescom. They were saying something along the lines of they don't see PlayStation and Nintendo as their competitors anymore. They see Amazon and Google because they're getting into the streaming cloud gaming uh, place, and that's where kind of Microsoft is going. So it's very telling to kind of see the industry shift, and I think this is Amazon's first kind of test of the waters of like their independent studio putting something out. They've been working on cloud technology for a while, so we're, we're going to see a cloud competitor uh, come out. And I mean, if they get like, so they give away free games each month with Twitch Prime, and as long as you claim them, they're yours in your library, and I'd imagine it'd be very easy for them to just turn a switch on and say, hey, you know, all those games that you've collecting, they're now available in the cloud and you can play them without having to download them to your computer. How cool would that be? I can see it coming, man, because, I mean, just like, you know, Google trying it out with Stadia and seeing what the kinks look like, I would assume that in the background, you know, AWS and the people that work there and then the combination of that was trying to make gaming work and watching how Google's launch went and what's been going on for them. I'm sure they are kind of just laying in wait in something like this where they're doing a big launch is probably going to be a precursor to the streaming service or whatever it ends up being. Right. Okay. Uh, Did you have any other final thoughts on on Amazon gaming or anything? No, I'm just really excited because I haven't haven't played a good like uh, third person shooter in a long time and it looks like a silly fun game. Yeah, man, we got to jump in, do that. Um, by the, oh, by the way, I didn't follow up with you. Uh, PUBG, one of the most popular games, Battle Royale, yeah. came to Stadia. It did? So it did. So it's free for all Stadia owners, so that's kind of that's kind of cool. That is kind of uh, cool. Anyway, I got to follow up with you on this. So your last guess on this, this uh, little plastic object that has a circle in the middle that's connected by four little... Uh, it, it's a circle inside a circle that's connected by four little connectors at north, south, east, west. Um, and it kind of is like a rounded, semi-rounded shape. Last guess, Blake. It feels like it's a cap to something. I don't I don't know. That's all I got. You would be correct. It is a cap to baby food. Oh, see, now that I see it, it makes complete sense. But yeah, that's hilarious. Right, but, but in the context of like, I don't know, on one of these things, it looks like a, it looks like a Star Wars thing, right? Like, check that out. Boom. Absolutely, it does. Yeah, spray paint that sucker in your in a whole yeah. new world. That's nuts. I don't know if anyone wants to talk to me about Greebly's. Find me on Slack. <laughs> there you go, the king of Greebs. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into the news. Ah, uh, yeah. That's this is it. That's the part of the show where we talk about Human Factors news. Do I sound excited, Blake? I'm you so sound excited. so stoked. It's hilarious. <laughs> Forgot we were even doing the show today. <laughs> Swear we talk about anything related to the field of human factors as long as it gets us in a good mood and uh, doesn't turn into Debbie Downer. So, uh, what do we got up first this week, Blake? All right, so let's keep out of Debbie Downer Town. So, a Boeing lid team has presented the Royal Australian Air Force. I wonder where this came from with its first Loyal Wingman aircraft. So, Loyal Wingman aircraft is an AI equipped drone essentially that's designed to fly in coordination with crewed military airplanes. So it's the first of three prototypes for the Australia's Loyal Wingman Advanced Development Program, and the first aircraft to be designed, engineered, and manufactured there in over 50 years. In a recent release, the Prime Minister of Australia said that the Loyal Wingman will be a pivotal to exploring the critical capabilities of our Air Force needs to protect our nation and its allies in the future. And to give a little 
background on loyal wingman drones, they're meant to provide fighter-like performance with the capability to fly more than 2,000 nautical miles, so that's about 2,300 statute miles. And the prototype that's been unveiled looks like it's doing some ground testing and a little bit of taxi and test flights later this year. So, Nick, I don't know how long ago, I want to see six to eight months ago, we had heard kind of the first rumblings of this coming out, not necessarily only in Australia, but at least the concept of the loyal wingman. Um, and for anybody that's, you know, into air aircraft or aviation, you've probably heard of this drone where it's supposed to basically act like the fighter pilot in the sky that allows a normal pilot to not have to put themselves in as many dangerous or treacherous situations, whether it's maneuvers or combat, whatever it may be. But it looks like it came, you know, less than a year later. Yeah, I mean, well, so this this is from Australia, right? So th- this is kind of uh, from Australia's perspective. Am I reading that wrong? Nope, you're totally right. Yeah, so it's interesting to see other countries follow suit, right? And Australia is one of our closest allies, uh, not only not only in the uh, military, but in Human Factors cast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, for for real. Um, so it's uh, it's interesting to see the um, yeah. You you mentioned that you you said five or six months. This is actually four months ago that we talked about this uh, episode one forty nine. If any if anyone wants to go back and listen to that, but um. We talked about the AI wingmen there and how this is basically offloading uh, a lot of cognitive tasks for the operator of the aircraft. Uh, you know, basically they are they are at the command of the um, the pilot and they're not to interfere, but they're there to help. So that's that's it's really cool. It's pretty sick. I mean, the thing that I find even cooler about the fact that it's in Australia, right? Because this is a Boeing kind of developed product. Um, and so I'm assuming it'll come to, you know, the United States, Navy, whatever other countries that end up with it. But it's this is kind of the the biggest line of AI or autonomous, you know, vehicles. Because we've heard a lot about in Australia, you get to test a lot more autonomous flying objects. So in this case, it's cool to see that they've gone so far that it's like it's probably one of the bigger drones that you've ever tested. And it's supposed to be, you know, military equipped. So that, I don't know, it, it seems like Australia is a great place if you're interested in autonomy or especially aviation, uh, autonomy and aviation. So it's been, it's been really interesting to see this kind of like grow over the past little while. And I can't believe it was only four months ago that we even came across it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know someone who's pretty well connected in uh, Western Australia who could uh, potentially steer you in the right direction if you wanted to potentially look at Australia as a... It's a place. Absolutely. <laughs> you probably program my flight plan It is a for place, me. but I mean like a place to live or a place to go to school. Um, yeah, we have a connection, and uh, he knows who he is. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But it's just a, just a cool little story because I'm uh, kind of a sucker for aircraft design, and this thing just looks sleek looking at it. Now, I know it's just a prototype, and there's three more prototypes to come. Yeah, I mean, the coolest part to me is that this is the first type of aircraft that's produced and manufactured uh, in Australia in more than 50 years, they say, right? So this is cool that this is the first one that they're, like, uh, moving forward with. I feel like um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of lessons learned that they can get from the aviation industry, um, you know, of the year's experience before here, before now, and now they can take all that uh, and start fresh with, uh, with a new set of procedures. And, you know, sometimes like, uh, I, I always kind of say jokingly that, you know, if, if, if the armed services were remade today, things would be a lot different because of the way that some programmatic things happen and the way that, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Change is very slow, right? And and so I feel like there'd probably be more of an attitude towards rapid um, testing and uh, rapid. Uh, that's the word I'm looking for. I'm, like I'm quick, drawing a blank. Like quick development. I mean, it, like yeah. let's say if we started today and we had been living in this tech-centric world. I mean, yeah, you would right. think that basically they would act like Google does where you just kind of ruthlessly pivot and you make products and hope they work and test them as best you can and then tweak them as, as right. needed versus where, what I think a lot of people, at least in the States, deal with in terms of what government does is it often takes a lot of churn and it's pretty slow, um, but that's just kind of the nature of things. Right. And so so my point with that is that I hope that, uh, you know, because it's been so long in Australia since they've actually engineered and manufactured uh, an aircraft like this. Um, so I, I hope that they would take sort of this uh, this rapid approach towards um, improving the product, too. I, I, I'm excited about it. Yeah, me too. And the the biggest thing that I think is kind of interesting right now is I know for the with the autonomy kind of movement and all sorts of different you know, genres, right? So whether it's driving, whether it's flying, that typically means you're taking an operator outside of a vehicle and now you're kind of repurposing that job in some ways or leaving it with a single operator to be monitoring it or removing them from the actual vehicle and having them monitor from far away. And so when you're talking about a country who hasn't created one of these, you know, aircraft in country in 50 years, it's really interesting that they've gone this kind of very, very technological route because that probably is going to end up creating different kinds and new kinds of jobs or fields for people to get into because you're focusing on, you know, not just AI oper- or not just you know, like a drone operator, but you're like, you're thinking about how they inter interplay with pilots to type what it really means to be programming some of the um, different kind of flight paths or how you kind of come up with those algorithms, how it plays within the military and the public sector. So it's just a lot of cool, you know, kind of like branches of industry that come from this one thing happening and happening at such a really high, like technical feasibility. Uh, so it's pretty sweet to see. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I, I have no other closing thoughts on that. Do you want to anything else from you? Let's jam. Um, okay. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to break down the rest of the one news story after this. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in human factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors Etc., we're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. All right, and we're back. Before we go on, I just want to thank all of our friends over at GeekWire and TechCrunch for all of our news stories this week. If you want to follow along, you can follow us all over social media or join us on our Slack for links to the original articles. We do post those as we find them. Uh, so we got one more news story up this week, 
Blake, what do we have up next? A little bit of fun to end us off. So during this period of shelter in place, people have had to seek many new forms of entertainment and social interaction. Many have turned to the niche party series made by the company best known for an irreverent trivia game in the 90s called You Don't Know Jack. Well, since 2014, that company has had an annual release of Jack box party packs and has delivered like four to five casual party games that run on desktop mobile and consoles that can be played in groups as small as two or as large as 10 so it's a clever twist using players smartphones as controllers which is perfect for the typing and typing of prompts or selecting options and drawing things etc so games are tons of fun and perfect for playing with friends over video conferences and they're their popularity is definitely skyrocketed. And I can say this is definitely self-evident because I've even had my mom asking me, what are Jackbox games and do you want to play them with us? Yeah, so I think the main point of this article, which uh, is behind a paywall, so take that as you will. But the main point of this article is that developers from other uh, companies should learn from Jackbox. I've mentioned this on the show several times. I think the first time I played this was a couple years ago. And what they do is they hijack your attention span so that way nobody can be on their phone while you're playing with other people. Um, and I think that's absolutely clever. I think the dual screen design um, that uh, presents everybody with a prompt, but then in, it, it, it forces you to use this device that you typically use for everything else as a means of interacting with that screen. So that way it does not divide your attention from what is going on. Um, y- have you had the pleasure of playing Jackbox with other people over over Zoom or anything like that? Uh, yeah, so our neighbors haven't. We've played a few times with them. Um, and it's it's just been a lot of fun to do because especially if you don't know people well, you kind of it's kind of a fun way to you know break the ice a little bit and see people's sense of humor and stuff like that. Um, but the fact that you can just do it over, you know, this, especially right now when we're, you know, d- having to deal with this kind of separation and using a lot of digital tools like Zoom or whatever it may be to conference between people, um, having this kind of extra medium that allows you to not just hang out and try and like figure out how to facilitate a conversation, but actually give you guys something active to do. And you're not you're not all on your phones at the same time um, doing other things besides playing the game. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I will say everyone's focused on the task at hand, and I think that's that's awesome, right? Like, uh, like you have some. Go- I I played this one. Can I just tell you? This is a little bit of a um a tangent here, but I played one the other day. Have you played the one where everyone is on a spaceship and you got to figure out which two people are the aliens? No, that sounds hilarious. It's awesome. So you put people in precarious scenarios where they have to answer questions that uh, so the aliens get different prompts than the humans. And um, you have to figure out who's the alien based on their answers, right? And so it'll say, like, uh, like I, I was the alien once, and it said, draw someone who's chic, right? And and the prompt for the humans was, draw a fashion model or something like that. And so it was, like, it's very different, it, or it can be very different depending on how you interpret it. Um, and that was one where uh, there's another game called Fakin' It where you have to – have you played that one? No, I don't think so. So faking it is a one where you have to basically raise your hand or not raise your hand or put up a number of fingers for the prompt. And the whole idea with that one is that you're looking around the physical room that you're in um, and trying to determine who's lying about their answer because there are some people that are called the spy or whatever. Uh, it's kind of like werewolf in the sense that, you know, two people have alternate agendas and they have to get through with tricking everybody. Um 
Well, that one really didn't work, but this one works remotely incredibly well because they they basically um, all the answers, all the responses that would indicate that you are not human or you're the you're the odd person out are on the screen, um, and so it works fantastically well. Anyway, my point with all that uh, it was a it was fun, and we could do those types of things over a virtual environment where, again. We're all interacting with our computers or phones or both, and um, it really did just, it, it's the entire focus of it. And, um, you know, uh, just in case anyone is wondering, the ideal setup, Discord with screen share for the host, and then everybody else has their webcam on and it shows them along the side. So that way you have visual on everybody. They don't have visual on you if you host. Uh, they have visual on, on the game. Um so that that's the best way to play. That's a pretty good setup, man. I have to say, it's it's been a lot of fun to kind of you know just go through the process of being able to play more games with people because that's not something that I've gotten like a large cha- a lot of chance to do, especially you know connecting with old friends over Xbox Live or doing stuff like playing Jackbox games with the neighbors or with like family members and things like that. So it's a I don't know. I've always loved video games just because I like playing them, but it's been cool to watch the kind of the the real social aspect for people who don't play them that much and then getting to see kind of a little bit of why you like them so much and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so so I guess the point of the article, how can other companies learn from Jackbox's user experience? Hijack the primary distraction method and utilize it for interaction with your uh device or service yeah because it's honestly it's not very complicated i mean it's it's using your a a text box for prompts sometimes you draw stuff on the screen but it doesn't really get much more complicated than that i mean it's it's very simple modes of interaction yeah all right that's that's all i had for news stories so let's go ahead and get switch gears and get into the next part of the show it came from it came from it came from Reddit. Yeah, this is part of the show where we search all over Reddit to bring you topics the community is talking about. Uh, we got time for one of them today. Again, we're trying to keep these shows short because uh, you're not commuting. We're not commuting. And uh, we got a screaming baby in the background. All right. So uh, first up, we got, uh, I guess, the only one here from the UX subreddit. We got from Conblade is the username. Uh, what are your actually most used research tools? Hello, all. I had a thread last week asking about the most used design tools. This is very helpful in trying to figure out where to put my energy and learning. So there's another thread on Reddit that we should check out for design tools. Similarly, I wanted to ask about research tools. What's your go-to research stack? What is something that you couldn't do testing or interviews without? Uh, Similarly, what are some great resources for learning about more of the soft side of, of human factors, such as user testing, user research, interviews, that whole thing? Um, trying to build up skills uh, during my current stay at home, so I'm happy to hear about anything. Blake, what are your go-to research tools and why? So I, I picked this for two reasons. Um, one, because I think we have a facetious answer, or at least I definitely do. Um, but also, I, I got this same type of question and a lot of anxiety from somebody who I'm now mentoring through learning UX research. And they were very overwhelmed with the amount of tools that are out there because there's there's like Usability Hub, there's UserTesting.com, there's Bold Insight. There's all these amazing suites of tools that cost a lot of money to use uh, that can make you know user interviews really simple and do da- doing data analysis even faster than normal. But my favorite stack is using Google Drive and being able to you know record a screen. That's it. 
I don't really want anything more complicated than that because, I mean, basically, as long as I can record the interview in some form or fashion, right now that's recording video. Um, I've done a couple of recent mobile tests where I've actually had a participant now record their iPhone screen for me on their half and send it to me. So I kind of can, you can do a little bit of kind of like interaction with your prototype that way, but really it's just taking notes, being able to review, you know, the interview that you had or the session that you have and be able to pick up on other subtle cues you may have missed. And all you really need for that is some kind of word editor. And if you're, if you're taking in any kind of like copious quantitative data that you need to crunch numbers with, Excel works just fine or Google Sheets works just fine for that stuff. So there's, there's just an amalgamation of free tools you can use. Um, to jump in on something they mentioned in the question that I didn't catch before, um, one book I've actually been re-going through for a remote user testing session that I'm doing right now for work is called The Project Planning Guide for UX. And it's just like, it's a really simple book, but it goes through all of the qualitative and quantitative methods that you would normally expect, like a user interview, a contextual inquiry, putting together a strict usability test where you're looking at things like time on task. But it does a really good job of breaking down the method, giving examples of good and bad things. So if you're looking for stuff like that, that's kind of a great go-to book from my perspective that I'm using now. And Nick, from your perspective, what are we looking at for research tools? Oh man, I was thinking even more basic. I was thinking pen and paper. Um, like if you if you sent me into a user research situation with uh, only pen and paper, I could come out of there with something for you. Um, it's all a matter uh, of how how you view. Or I guess is if if I had ideal tools, uh, you you kind of mentioned it, Blake. PowerPoint and or not PowerPoint. Um, uh, Word and Excel are are lifesavers for this type of thing. You can do statistical analyses in Excel for uh, quantitative data, and then um, for qualitative data, you know, you could just kind of you can also capture that in Excel and look through it. But but the survey creation, the interview creation, the prep material, that's all in Word. Um, those are kind of my bread and butter. I don't go too far out in the like realm of. Uh, third-party tools because I can't rely on them to always be there. Um, sometimes some of these startups go under. Um, sometimes, you know, there's just some uncertainty with people trying to cash in on UX as a as a as a thing as a platform, and um, you know, I just can't rely on those tools to be there. Microsoft has been around for years, and Google will be here forever. So you can always use Google Sheets, uh, Google Word. What is Google's word? Is that Docs. Google Docs? Yeah, you can always use that. Um, just some free kind of number crunching software and free uh, free word processing. That's that's what I'll always go to. Um, d- any other tools? No, that, I mean, that's kind of it. My favorite thing is being able to just record whatever session I'm using um, or whatever session I'm going through because oh, right, yeah. I like to go back and just either listen to it, watch it, do both if I have both. Um, and pick up other kind of tweaks. That's that's kind of my favorite tool of all of them. Um, I yeah. do agree with you. The best thing you can do is just come with a piece of paper and a pencil. I, you know, I often don't think about the recording method, um, only because working in the defense industry, it's like really hamstrings you for for being able to uh, record stuff like that. So, um, yeah. Aside from that, I think I think you're spot on. Uh, that that stuff can be incredibly helpful to go and replay it back. You might catch something you didn't catch initially. Um, so yeah, 
Uh, all right. Well, that's all I got. You got anything else, Blake? No, I think that's it. We covered some easy and usable methods for everybody. Short episode today. That's it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the stories this week. You can join the discussion on our Slack or follow us on any of our social channels at H Factors Podcast. Uh, you can always email us at show at humanfactorscast.com if you want to reach us directly. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, you can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice or consider supporting us on Patreon. Again, we're very excited about Human Factors Minute. Blake even said he was recording some before the show. We got a million in the hopper for you. Uh, we'll be we'll be there for years to come with Human Factors Minute. So if, if uh, you can't afford it now, we're, we're always here for you. You can, you can come to it later. We ain't going uh, anywhere. Nah. And, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnsdorf for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about Autonomous Wingman? If you guys want to talk about Autonomous Wingman, you can always find me in the Human Factors Cast Slack at Blake, or you can find me across social media at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it, it depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.